Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Yesterday, a date that will live in infamy. This came into my mind. Um, Yesterday was the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby. Don't know if you saw that. Uh, <clears throat> if you did, you saw that a trainer named Bob Baffert won again for the sixth time, uh, seventh time, you're right, seventh time, which breaks a record of, of the sixth time with he and another guy. Before the Derby ran, uh, probably, I don't know, an hour, an hour and a half, they had a, a little sit-down with Bob Baffert, Bill Belichick, and uh, Mike Tirico. Tirico was asking the both of them how they work, how they, uh, what mindset went into to their training and uh, to see if there were any similarities in their approach. <clears throat> and there were, but the bulk of that conversation, they didn't use this word, but the bulk of that conversation was about attitude. It was about knowing what you're, what you're going after and, and achieving that based on a mindset that says this can be done, seeing it before it happens and believing that it can be done. And uh, one, one of the things Babbert said I thought was neat was not that unusual, but to, to see the end means in your horse winning, you've got to get rid of the noise around you. I want you to turn to First Peter chapter 4. We're going to talk about attitude today in light of the fact that we are as as, first Peter, as as the Apostle Peter refers to here, strangers, or another word he uses is aliens in a foreign land. We are here as misfits, as those who don't fit in, knowing Christ in a world that's lost without him, feel as misfits as those who don't fit in. And he talks to, uh, in this passage today about the attitude we are to portray and project because of that. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with this same attitude, because those who have suffered in their bodies are done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so with, uh, as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do, do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. First thing I want us to see from this text today is that 
Our attitudes are shaped through suffering. And we talked about suffering last week. You, hope, you were probably hoping we were through with suffering, right? But our attitudes are, are shaped by suffering. Look at 1 and 2 again. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because those who have suffered in their bodies, that's a key phrase, are done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of the earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. Now, first of all, why do we need to be, be armed? Why, why, why do you think he uses the analogy of, of a soldier, of arm yourself? Well, I think it's because he knew you and I would be in a war. You're, we're in a war for the values of our souls. We're in a war for the values of this book. We're in a war for the values of the kingdom and to arm ourselves for the suffering that was to come, he says, is, is, is great advice and great counsel for you and I because unless we are armed, we're going to get eaten alive. And many of us feel like that. I mean, we're, I see it sometimes on your faces. <laughs> you come in here on Sundays after a week of, Lord help. <laughs> and so that, that's by design that, as, as he says here, the end of all things is near in verse 7. As we face to, face to and walk through the end of days, it's, it's what Matthew 24 described to us in the sense that we're going to act and seem and wonder if we're in the right place because this doesn't look like us anymore. This world doesn't share our values anymore. It doesn't see through the lens that we see through anymore. And so we need to arm ourselves, he says, <clears throat> to, to, uh, to that end. <clears throat> Arm ourselves with this same attitude. What attitude? Well, an attitude that's wiser, an attitude that no, no longer finds pleasure in sin, but in seeking the will of God. In fact, he says here, I'm done with sin. We should arm ourselves with the attitude that says, I'm done with sin, meaning that we no longer sin. No. You and I know that if, you're, if, you're, if you've been a believer for 15 minutes, you're going to walk back into sin occasionally. But to, 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 to be done with habitual sin is what he's talking about. To be done with, with the... The, the complacency of being able to walk in sin over and over and over. In fact, <clears throat> if you're here today and, and you're right back into the same sin over and over and over and over again, seeking victory but never finding it, wondering, is there deliverance? Is there another way out? If you are unbothered in habitual sin, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. If you are unbothered, if it doesn't bother you to walk in habitual sin, you need to know Jesus. That's as simple as I know how to put it. So come to him today. If you're in habitual sin and you're no longer bothered by that, but he says here, I'm done with sin. I'm done with, the, I'm done with the, this idea of habitual sin, and it, and it bothers me that I'm in it. Uh, so this idea of human desires, he points to here. I'm done with, with, with this idea of human desires. Uh, humans are imperfect and suffering, as we looked at last week, is a, is a byproduct of human imperfection. We, we are, in fact, as, as I shared with you in e-news a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus himself said, in, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He talks about physical suffering, his and ours, in their bodies. He uses this phrase here in verses 1 and 2. Now, mental and emotional suffering can oftentimes be masked. We can, we can hide it from folks oftentimes and, and, and have developed good mechanisms for doing that. Physical suffering can't. It can't be masked. In fact, God allows physical suffering into our lives to teach us how to deal with the mental and emotional suffering that we don't, don't know how to effectively walk in. 
We don't know how to effectively live out and be transparent about. So he oftentimes allows physical suffering in our, in our lives to teach us to depend on him mentally and emotionally and physically in all three areas of our life. We wouldn't see that if we're just walking through a mental hard place. We wouldn't see that if we're just walking through an emotional hard place knowing that it's just feelings, and I'll get over feelings, won't I? Sure I will. But he gets our attention sometimes physically to tell us something about ourselves mentally and emotionally. We need not to miss that because it's a great teaching tool, physical, mental, and emotional. We're shaped through suffering, our attitudes are. Secondly, our attitudes are shaped by our past. Look at verses 3 to 6 again with me. He says, for you've been, you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, choosing to live in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, idolatry. They're surprised you do, you do not join them in their reckless wild living and, and heap abuse on you. This idea of, of what he's talking about here is, is to say, can we just move beyond our past? Will you look at your past as, as a means of a, of a lesson to, to a, a, a bigger, as a pathway to a bigger lesson in life? Our past is our past, and moving on from it uh, is, is a way of allowing it not to define you. He says here to move on from your past, not to allow your past to define who you are, because it doesn't say who you are. In fact, he mentions in verse 6 that we are dead to the body. We're dead to these human desires, uh, li living under the leadership of the Spirit, meaning there's no room for the Spirit to take control of your life if, you, if you're in that seat. If you want God to take control of your life, to, to navigate your way, to show you his will and his, his plan and his design for you, you can't, you can't reside in, in the seat of, of, of uh, in charge in your world. You have to give up that seat and let him have it. Uh, the, 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 this idea that our past is, is our past, meaning that do we forget our past altogether? No, we just don't allow it to define us anymore. We don't forget it in the sense that our past can and should lead us to some lessons in life. Our past should, should help us see, don't go there again. <laughs> let's, not, let's not head down this road again. Or, wise decision, let's, let's, let's kind of walk in this place in, in this way on a more consistent basis. There are consequences to decisions in this world, and our past should be a, a tool, a teaching tool, to show us the natural consequences of our making bad decisions and then suffering the consequences of them. Understanding God's Spirit has a design that's bigger than that consequence every time. But we have to look for it to walk in it. So, until you make a, a decision to no, to, to no longer allow it to, your past is going to shape your attitude. Let me say that again. Until you make a conscious decision to, look, to no longer allow it to, your past is going to shape your attitude. Now, how is that victory won? One day at a time. Sometimes one hour at a time. Depending on what, what, your, what your past has been, how, how you allow the enemy to eat you up with it. It's incrementally. It's over a process of time to where we look, we look up a week later and, I've gained some victories this week. We look up a month later and I've gained a few more victories this month. And, and, and as, a pro, as a process of, <clears throat> of dying to ourselves, of dying to the, to the control of our past, we start to look back on a, on a track record that has more victories than sorrows over time. But it's never, you know, the decision to change is instantaneous, but guess what? The enemy's going to be back on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday about your past to bring it, to dredge it back up in your mind and say, that's who you are. And we, we day by, by day by day look at ourselves in the mirror and, and rebuke him with the word that says, that's not who I am. That's in my past. And my past has to remain in my past. Uh, in short, we've got to learn to let things go. That's harder for some folks than others. I get it. I get it. I understand it. 
We've got to learn to let things go. That's far easier when we can see what, what dragging our past around is doing to us. Get a clear picture of what, that, what that, that albatross around your neck is doing to you, and it's far easier to let that go when we get a picture of it. Uh, there, there are, and here's, here's another little side piece of advice. You need at least two or three honest friends in your life, in your world. They'll say, hey, you're living, you're living in the past. You're allowing that to defeat you. You're allowing that to whip you again and again. Let that go. Let that go. Let's pray. I'll covenant to pray with you and for you about that. But until you have people in your life that look at your life honestly and say, can you just move beyond that? You keep bringing that up over and over. Can we get beyond that? Let's, let's, folks that will be honest with you and friends that, that will look you in the eye and tell you the truth. All of us need those kinds of folks because our attitudes are shaped by our past. Thirdly, our attitudes are shaped through suffering. They're shaped by our past. But thirdly, our attitudes are shaped by each other. Look at verses 7 to 10. They're shaped by each other. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, he says here. Love each other deeply. This is, this is not a love of convenience that he's describing. It's a love that costs something, sometimes costs severely. Think of the, of the, the love of Jesus for you on the cross. Could have at any point in the time said, God, Father, no, we're going to have to come up with plan B. But willingly walked into place, taking a beating for you, hum the humiliation of walking down the street naked, carrying a cross on your behalf, being spat upon, being mocked, put to death, nails through his hands and feet. All that was selfless love for you. What kind of love do you have for others that cost you something? Or are most of your relationships just relationships of convenience that are mutually beneficial. That's kind of a buzzword in our culture. Unless it's mutually beneficial, unless it's, it's sustainable, I'm not in. Well, guess what? A, a costly love isn't sustainable because we have to depend on Christ for that, not our own strength, our own energy, our own, our own wits, our own mind. We have to depend on him to sustain, uh, to, uh, sustain us and carry us through those places. It's, uh, it's, he's talking about a love that opens itself up to being vulnerable here, to love each other deeply Brings us to a place of mutual vulnerability he's talking about here. And uh, to have hospitality without grumbling. To serve others as stewards of the grace of God. Stewards being, meaning messengers or models, uh, modelers of the grace of God. John 1.16 says, For out of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Grace unending. Grace in place of grace already given. Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. In essence, that it, it, it is a never-ending supply of grace. And if we are walking with each other in fellowship, he, he says, lo loving each other deeply, he will give us the grace to do that uh, over and over and over again. Why is that so important? Well, verse 7 speaks to it, because the end is near. I firmly believe you and I are living in the last days as I see things unfold in this world, around the world, Certainly in the Middle East, I believe we're living in the last days. It's vitally important, if you, if you believe that's true, it's vitally important that we start to live out our faith in a more aggressive, not aggressive in the sense that it's in your face, but aggressive in the sense that I'm proud of who I am and I'm not going to kowtow anymore to what this world says I could, should, and couldn't do. I'm not going to li live a PC life anymore. I'm walking truth out in a way that is loving, but yet at the same time bold. If you know you're living in the last days, 
those kinds of those kind of thoughts and attitudes, I think, have to permeate our mind. Now, why is all this so important? The end is near, and he, he, this next phrase after verse seven is: "So be alert, be sober, be praying." We need to find ourselves aware. Many of us are unaware of what's going on around us in our culture. That there is intent. The intent is 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 authored by and and and, and uh, uh, initiated by the enemy. Now he's using those in our world to bring it about. But the intent is from Satan himself, and when we can see the intent, when we can see the war we're up against, it's far easier for us to do battle against him. It's far easier for, for us to recognize who he is and where he's at work and get, uh, get our faith lived out in those places that are, that are uh, open to that and where our, we can make a difference. Um, but he says to see that, you've got to be alert. You've got to be sober. You've got to be praying or you'll miss it. So be alert, be sober, be praying. Uh, pray, uh, praying not for ourselves, but for our influence in a culture that is, is as I said, uh, increasingly away from God. In, in our relationships with, uh, with each other, we draw strength for the journey in that. That's, that's what Sunday should be about here. It should be about your, your gleaning some word, about your worshiping at the feet of Jesus, and about your fellowship with each other to the extent that it feeds you and stirs your heart. To where you leave stronger than you came. You leave, we can do this again for another week. And you come back Sunday and you're filled up and stirred and challenged again. And we can do this for another week, even better than last week. And you come another Sunday and that's what the body should do for each other. That's how body life should occur. That's what it should look like. And if you're not gleaning that here, go find some place where you can glean that. I hope you're finding that here. If not, shame on us. But go find some place where you can, where you can be charged and be fed and serve and be challenged and grow together with a body of folks that love you and care about you and want, want what's best for you. That's what he's talking about here, is to love each other deeply. And that's what that looks like, sacrificially. We need each other. Uh, in fact, in the culture we're living in, we need each other now more than ever. And, and it's, it's vital that we have people in our lives to help us along, to, to encourage us, to, 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 to make us better together. We are better together than we are isolated and are on our own. Our attitudes are shaped through suffering. They're shaped by our past. They're shaped by each other. Finally, our attitudes are shaped by who gets the glory. They're shaped by who gets the glory. Look at verse 11. If you speak, you should do so with, uh, as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides. So that, watch this, in all things, God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. If what we say draws it, or, and how we live draws attention to ourselves. The focus is in the wrong place. What we say and how we live should draw our attention and our focus, others focus to him. Uh, if the glory is coming our way, we should be aware of that, nip that in the bud, as Barney Five says, as quickly as we can. This verse centrally, though, is directed to and addresses our motives. What's the motive for what you do? Why do you do what you do? Why are you in the relationships that you're in? Why did you say that to him or her the way you did? It gets to our motives and why we are the way we are and what, how we process things in our mind. We talked a couple of weeks ago about taming the tongue and having a verbal filter. The more we put verbal filters in place, those filters should be filtered by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's how we filter thoughts that are impure, that, that originate here before they get here. And so if how we're talking brings us to glory, it's going in the wrong place. Uh, who we really are is how we think and how we live when nobody's around. What does that you look like? What, is, what does the you look like when nobody's around? When there's nobody to, to, to see or notice? 
what you're saying or what you're doing. Are you, are you content? Are you happy with that you? Because that you is the real you, not the you that's in front of others unless those are the same. That you is the real you. What, what does that you look like? Uh, why is that so important? Because that's who we are, uh, he, as he describes here, to be authentic and real, transparent before each other, loving each other deeply. That's who we are. That's not some, shouldn't be something we just put on and take off. Put on on Sunday mornings before we walk in these doors and take off since we get home. Put on before we head to work, take off since we get home. He said, it's not you're the, the, the authentic you, the real you, the, the you that love each other deeply, the, the, the you that understands suffering, the you that understands your need for each other. That you ought to be the real you everywhere all the time. Not something we take, put on and take off. Uh, in essence, he's saying there's no room for both of you on the throne of your life. He says, if you want to walk with me, if you want to understand what's going on in your, in your world, I've got to occupy that place. There's no room for you there and me there. It's not a, uh, on one of our team's uh, uh, tri tri trips to Nicaragua, one of our translators was a small guy, and we were traveling in a, in a, a Toyota a Land Cruiser with bench seats in the back of it, about I don't know, 15 of us or so in a place that should seat, seat 12 among seats that should seat. And, and there was one of our translators that I used to call One Cheek Lenin because he would, he, he, last one to get in and would close the door and lock it. There'd be a half cheek, you know, room for him to sit down somewhere. That's not what he's talking about here. We're not half in and half out. We're not one, one foot in, one foot out. He says, we, we've got to be all in. There's no room for both of us on the throne. You can't share a cheek with him for the throne of your life. He's got to occupy that place. He says, when I get the glory and I occupy that place, you'll start to see me at work in your life and your attitudes will start to be shaped and changed by, by my getting the glory out of you instead of you. Here's some hard questions as we wrap up that only you can answer. The first is this. What attitudes do I need to let go of? What attitudes do I need to let go of? Now, these are hard questions that only you can answer. Has suffering made me bitter? Has it made me bitter? Has my past made me angry? Have others made me apathetic? Have I made myself entitled? And it's finally, the final question is, what attitudes do I need to pick up? I need to let go of those. What do I need to pick up? I need to pick up gratitude in place of bitterness. If you're bitter, because of suffering, be grateful for, for what God is using suffering to teach you about himself and about you. I need to pick, have gratitude instead of bitterness. I need motivation instead of anger. What, what I've experienced in, in the past or my present circumstances should motivate me to, to move beyond them instead of being angry for them. Thirdly, I need forgiveness instead of apathy. Uh, folks in life are, are imperfect and they're going to hurt us. I need to learn to forgive instead of being apathetic about, I just don't care about that relationship anymore. I don't, I don't care what happens to me anymore in that regard. We need to learn to forgive and move on as opposed to being apathetic about that. And finally, we need to pick up an attitude of selflessness instead of an attitude of entitlement. And I'm going to tell you, an attitude of selflessness in this world is going to look like a freak. Selflessness, not selfiness. There's plenty enough selfiness going on. Uh, we, we're such a selfie culture. To, look, to live selflessness in this culture is starkly different from what this culture looks like. 
That's the kind of influence he's talking about bringing to bear. That's the kind of influence he's talking about that matters. That's the kind of attitude he's talking about that will feed those around you instead of suck them dry. I wonder attitudinally, if you're honest with yourself, if you're happy with what you, where you stand today. I wonder if, if, uh, if you do have more of an attitude of gratitude. I wonder if you do have more of an attitude of forgiveness. I wonder if your attitudes do, do say, I, I, can move, I can let that go. I can let the past go and move beyond that. I wonder attitudinally, if you're honest with yourself, what you look like, because those are vitally important to you, not, not just to your faith, but to your future, to your witness, to those around you that need to know Jesus. Attitude is, is vitally important. And I wonder sometimes if, if we uh, discount and shortchange that kind of influence. It's powerful. Attitude is influence without words. And it's powerful. And we need to realize its power in people's lives to, for, for, for good, for, for the kingdom. Uh, especially those that are watching your life, walking you, watching you walk through a hard place and wondering, let's see if their God's real to them now. Let's see if he's who, 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 who they say that he, that he is now. Powerful, hard witnesses to those hard places. Let's pray. Father, today as you've, as you've uh, caused us to reflect again on your word and, and on how we think, how we live, how we process decisions, how we see ourselves, how we see others around us. Those, those, those circumstances are either shaping our attitudes or our attitudes about them are shaping our circumstances. But it can't be both ways. Because you're on the throne of our lives, or we are. It can't be both ways. We're either dragging the past around with us, or we can let it go. It can't be both ways. We're either learning from suffering, or it's eating our lunch. It can't be both ways. Would you, would you teach us how, we, how desperately we need each other? How desperately our, our lives need to reflect the glory of God instead of the glory of Tim? Would you, sh- would you show us to a place that is... Um, Deeply, deeply impactful to those around us because we are selfless about ourselves and we're about the glory of God. Those kind of attitudes are contagious. Those kind of attitudes have a loud and resounding witness if we'll walk in them, if we'll chase after them, long for them, find ourselves living according to them. Stir our hearts with these truths today from your word where they don't just, they're not just more information. They inspire us and impact us to live and walk and process this world differently because we know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.